Hello and welcome back to the IDC Tech Talk podcast. It's been a while, so welcome back. My name is Miles Dawson. I am your host today. And uh, for this podcast, we're heading into the world of software and application development in EMEA. Uh, did you know that one in two IT executives surveyed in our EMEA COVID-19 impact study told us that they were prioritizing software development and delivery capabilities to drive product and experience innovation? We also did a survey around accelerated application delivery, which found that half of organizations in Europe are looking to expand their internal development capabilities, exploit and build new co-creation models, and expand their developer ecosystems. So it sounds like it's big news for many organizations. So let's welcome our panel of analysts. First of all, we have John. John, do you want to give a bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's John O'Brien. I'm a research director at IDC in Europe. I cover uh, intelligent application and developer services. Uh, next, we have George. Hi, guys. And uh, yeah, great to be uh, here again with you, Miles, and, and everyone. I'm in charge of um, co-leading the accelerated application delivery practice in Europe. So spanning you know, the, the whole um, application development and deployment space. And uh, finally, we have Vlad. Hi, Miles, uh, and hello, everyone listening. Uh, I'm a senior analyst at IDC, a relatively recent joiner, about a year and a half, and I cover CE uh, for several spending guides, uh, public cloud security, and also the vertical spending guide. Coming from the background of running a nearshore development center, so I'll try to uh, throw in my two cents on this as well. Brilliant. Well, welcome to all. And let's kick off with the first question. So, George, um, there are some big ambitions to grow software development capabilities across organizations in Europe. We know that from the stats I said earlier. What are the consequences of that? And where do you think those developers are going to be coming from? Mm, yeah, that, that that's a great question. So, yeah, we, we definitely see software development that, you know, it's intensely discussed in, in boardrooms. You know, a lot of companies, you know, are looking at their options. They're, you know, debating around insourcing versus externalized capabilities, investment allocations, budgetary implications long term. But, you know, the, the big consequence here is that professional developers are in great demand and the need for them will, will all only increase moving forward. And we see two types of professional developers that, uh, are very soft, sought after and will be even more. So the, the first class of developers is developers with cloud-native expertise. Uh, and the other one is developers with embedded software development or edge development expertise. And so, you know, for the... Um, Cloud-native developers, they, they are in demand for um, large-scale transformation. So, you know, modernizing legacy um, application estates. And, of course, innovation projects, be that net new uh, projects or extension projects, things like, you know, customer-facing digital interfaces, new architectures like event-driven processing systems and, and things like that. The edge uh, or embedded software development type of developer is very much sought after uh, to basically build more digital capabilities, more uh, software footprint, if you want, into analog products. So you have these two types of developers. And then, of course, at a higher level, there's a really big need for uh, experienced solution architects that can tie these, you know, the cloud and the edge world together and uh, and that can do other things like, you know, lowering the cost of architectural transition from non-cloud to distributed software systems. So, yeah, devs, we see them in, in great demand. Uh, and, and it comes out also from the, the, the research that we do. So 
for the past two years, we've been running our uh, accelerated application delivery surveys, and we very clearly see there that, for instance, cloud native developer skills, they are getting uh, harder to find on the market every every year when we compare, uh, for instance, 2020 responses in our surveys with 2019. So yeah, getting uh, into these skills is, is not easy. Another point there is, you know, companies who want to hire uh, internally, they are facing competition from, you know, technology vendors or technology startups, IT services providers. These, the supply side basically is competing to acquire these types of developers um, in the market too. So uh, whether, you know, the, the, the big ambitions of end user organizations to hire internally will be realized, that that's something to be seen. But it needs to be said that the supply side is very experienced um, in attracting talent. You know, they've been doing it as their core business and, you know, they, some of them, uh, you know, very well-funded technology startups, they have the, the pockets to attract developers, uh, keep them motivated, retain them. And retention is a big challenge, you know, a big point to think about if you if you want to hire internally. So, yeah, developers are uh, are in, in great demand these days. So if you're a developer, you you know you're you're in a good position in the marketplace. So I jump in and just sort of look at it from a service provider perspective. So George introduced that that idea really really nicely. But these companies are are you know very well established in Europe and they are um, aggressively growing their that trying to grow their skills right now and they're doing it through mergers and acquisitions. They're buying up all of the skills, all of the talent that's been sort of nurtured in Europe through these these grassroots companies that have been built up in areas like, you know, cloud native or specifically around certain technologies like Salesforce consultancy or ServiceNow or maybe even AWS and Google and Azure, all these consultancies. And, you know, there's, there's been literally dozens of these acquisitions over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I just spotted even in the last few weeks, uh, Wipro's made its biggest ever acquisition in Europe, a company called Capco. Uh, they employ 5,000 people worldwide, but they're in digital design consultancy. So that's another adjacent area. Um, we also, you know, they have got to be also, these companies are aware that, that the talent, they can't get the talent on its own to plug the skills gaps. So they're actually investing in other areas like AI and automation as well to sort of augment those skills and to plug the gaps where people you know, people are going to be left behind as they are being reskilled themselves. So AI and automation has an opportunity to kind of plug some of those gaps as well. So it's really interesting how that's evolving. Um, and then, you know, some of these service providers are really kind of embedding their own new skilling platforms as well to kind of accelerate the way that they can get new talent into the market quickly. Uh, if I can just jump in here. Um, yeah. One of the problems uh, with reskilling or upskilling people to to the desired level to become like to be called uh, professional developers is not only giving them sources of uh, knowledge it's also investing time of senior developers for example you would need to have someone sit next to them uh, to guide them through certain aspects of like their education and to show them uh, good practices bad practices something that you cannot learn through just a mere course or um, like a video or books uh, it, it actually takes uh, it takes a senior developer to make a professional developer. Um, so it's also a big investment. It's not just uh, giving buying content to uh, provide uh, to employees or potential employees. It's also uh, having to separate people who would actually be producing um, billable hours. For example, you would have to take part of their time to give uh, training to the people you're upskilling, so reskilling. In in that sense, it is actually a very expensive investment. 
Sounds all pretty interesting. So, uh, John, what strategy do you think companies should uh, pursue in, in Europe to be able to sustain these software development ambitions? Well, lots of the companies that I'm sort of talking to are looking to create centers of excellence um, around certain topic technology topic areas, whether that's low code application development, for instance. But actually, I've also recently just published a document looking at um, how they can actually help deliver these kind of um, COEs and exploring areas like pods and squads and guilds and tribes, these new agile development techniques and delivery models that are being seriously considered now we, we you know by organizations and as they're trying to sort of accelerate these software development ambitions but you know these these models they're sort of very small multidisciplinary collaborative team environments and they, they bring together sort of experienced subject matter experts and junior team members and sort of mid mid um mid-sized sort of uh, experienced developers uh, into a, to, to create a product together um, these are sort of really highly fluid teams as well. They can move around and they can learn new skills and and, and sort of share those skills from upwards and downwards. Um, so that that helps sort of spread the the scale of of learning across the organization. You know everyone is learning on this point. Um, so there's got to be you know new forms of partnership, for instance, that need to take place to kind of make these things happen. Yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, you know from an in-house um, development perspective, I think you know one way to, solve this you know how do you sustain your um software innovation capability is you know by increasing the developer productivity you know you have just a finite number of developers you can't increase the developer quantity uh overnight you know but you want to produce more right more software and, and or your your software backlog is ballooning so the way to address that is basically by raising the productivity of um the developers uh, you you have and and basically to look at you know your technology and, and processes in place that you have and uh, and optimize as much as possible you know developer hours so you know with that comes uh, you know things like uh, you know taking away the pain of uh, managing application infrastructure for developers you know uh, giving them more adequate tooling more adequate middleware more adequate um databases and this especially in cloud native uh, or edge scenarios um automate uh, developer workflows where possible uh, look around for 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 best practices um one way for instance would be you know shifting towards an api uh, development um uh, approach that that would help uh, to you know ship faster ship more often um in line with that thinking of being more productive per developer uh per developer hour now in terms of um business strategy and corporate behaviors uh you know we see some doing acquisitions some uh investing in startups some going into incubators for co-creation and um uh, developer partnerships and and there are examples there you know bmw last year they made an, an investment uh in um um software development centric startup they they build actually electric motors but they do that via very software led software development led, led approach um uh, you know in in terms of like going into incubators electrolux has been experimenting working with startups um uh, in incubators and co-creating with them for a couple of years. Um, Volkswagen, you know, they have these big ambitions to to become, um, uh, you know, more software-led 
uh, and we've seen in 2020 um, couple two acquisitions, two very important acquisitions. I would say one which is uh, pertaining to the cloud native domain. They've acquired a company called Deconium, which is, uh, you know, it was like a digital ser services vendor. Um, uh, and, and they were acquired to streng strengthen the digital sales platform of Volkswagen. Uh, the other one, which is closer to the Im embedded or edge um, space, uh, late last year, they've acquired an image processing software specialist um, a unit uh, that, that was part of another automotive manufacturer, um, Hela. So, you know, there's different, different um, strategies there. Uh, probably one which is only now starting is around uh, training, um, training to hope uh, to you know be able to scale internally. Again, the example that comes in my head is uh, Volkswagen. They've just uh, uh, recently opened a coding school within the premises of their industrial uh, headquarters in, in Wolfsburg in Germany. Um, and they're just starting with 150 students. Uh, but they're planning to have 600 people in the uh, coding school uh, training by by end of next year. So different different behaviors, different uh, strategies there. So George, do you do you see organizations industrializing the professional uh, developer capability in Europe? Is that something that you see happening? I think the the level of disruption that uh, software development brings to companies here in Europe depends on the industry. Um, you know, if you look at uh, uh, verticals like banking, insurance, uh, financial services, you know, custom application development there has been critical to the business for quite some time. I mean, what is the, what is a bank today without, uh, you know, without um, IT? Uh, you know, we're all transacting uh, digital money, right? Um, so their plans to boost developer capability are are less drastic, less dramatic, and 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 the you know the banks, financial services organizations, they've been well covered in terms of uh, development strategy, developer delivery. Um, in sectors like manufacturing and particularly consumer facing um, manufacturing, like automotive, you know, home appliances, there the disruption is pretty severe and. Uh, we see the companies uh, there um, in these verticals uh, scrambling to grow their developer position. I mean, again, look at Volkswagen Group. They they plan to scale from 4,000 developers in-house today uh, to 10,000 developers by by 2025. So, you know, for this sort of uh, company, if you're in that industry, software becomes pretty ex existential. Uh, then, you know, similarly in retail, logistics, uh, custom app development becomes so much more important. Um, I, would say, I would say as a general line, uh, companies that have been buying more type of uh, commercial off-the-shelf software are more likely to put uh, much more investment to industrialize their software delivery. Um, and maybe, you know, you were asking, um, you know, what were the, the consequences of software development uh, being so so important? I, I would say probably another consequence there, big one is that um, software development capacity is being built directly in product development, directly in the business, uh, you know, be that the core business or some lateral line of business. It's, it's not defaulting in the IT function um, uh, as, as it used to be, right? And that's because software development becomes so, so strategic and, and not a lateral function. And again, so companies that have been, uh, have been reliant on IT as a support function, um, 
and that were heavy on consuming um, uh, commercial off-the-shelf applications, they are much more unexperienced and, and they're thinking a lot about, you know, how to put in place a delivery machinery, uh, how to build recruitment pipelines, you know, put uh, in place mechanisms to ensure a constant development stream, you know, keep developers motivated, that, that sort of stuff. So I can jump in, Josh, with an, with another example. So I think what you're saying is so relevant to this uh, this customer that um, was present, presenting at the DevOps Europe Summit this week, and that's Adidas. And they're way ahead of the market in their ambition and execution in the retail sector, uh, retail and manufacturing, I guess you'd call it. They're sort of they have over 2,000 developers who are both internal and external um, to, with partners, and they're building a platform ecosystem to to pivot the entire organisation from what is effectively a purely wholesale model today. Uh, so selling via um, via shops, et cetera, to becoming you know fifty percent direct to consumer over the next few years, and that's a huge transformation. And they're looking to hire hundreds more developers and uh, to to achieve this. And they know this isn't easy because um, they they also know they're looking at the cultural aspects of the, of the of the change journey, and they need to they feel that they these people need to develop their skills and feel that they belong to that vision that the company's going on. And you know that what they're trying to achieve is they're trying to move um, what they have at the moment which are tech hubs they've got around nine of them they're trying to change the way that they that, that they sort of operate into something what they're calling competency centers where you know they have a purpose and ambition and um, the people who work for them have a sense of belonging and these are you know so so particular focus areas for them would be areas around data analytics and um, observability uh, real-time analytics and site reliability engineering engineering these are all areas that are really critical to keep um, these platforms running optimally when uh, there's huge demand on, on the network um, you know and this is also about improving customer experience as well uh, at the end of the day um, there's also uh, the part of industrialization of um, development capability that's uh, based on location actually so you have um, hubs of startups um, which attract and uh, create developers. So examples would be, I don't know, maybe it's like, let's say Berlin for Europe, like one of the biggest uh, startup centrals, but there are others. Um, there, for example, Malaga is up and coming, like a place uh, for uh, startups. And um, this kind of gravity um, of these uh, places actually uh, not only attracts, but creates uh, developers because people who need the skills actually also get their first entry point there um, these are uh, move move fast break things kind of uh, places where people can get uh, skills really 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 quickly um, and this is also something that's uh, later um, flowing into the corporate sector you have um, these uh, developers who uh, how do you say forge themselves uh, in the startup uh, in this in these kind of startup centrals in these uh, tech hubs and they flow in uh, once they you know get to the point where maybe the startup life is not for them or they uh, scale up enough or they get better offer they move into the corporate uh, arena so the, uh, and a lot of companies actually support the incubators in these places. They support these startups, even though they don't may not have direct uh, benefit. Most of them actually do try to uh, acquire uh, good ideas, good uh, startups this way. But it is also not just that that point is um, is also to build up the skill level and to build up the supply side of developers. 
So, Vlad, what, what strategies do you see around this this uh, this recruitment and hiring of professional development across these organisations? There is this current approach of uh, you know put a job ad or uh, acquire a company, which are so far have been used, uh, and this approach will continue. It's not something that will disappear, uh, but it is uh, it is something that's uh, insufficient. Um, you can see that um, there's a bottleneck uh, in kind of uh, in the companies, which comes from the lack of the developers who need to build uh, software, and uh, these approaches will be supplemented in several ways. Uh, so one of the biggest offenders uh, in this sense uh, that needs to be changed a little bit is the when you look at job ads, the prevailing theme is everyone lo- is looking for a senior developer, like a super senior developer. Sometimes you can see a mi- mid-level or how they call them, mediers, but very rarely do you see an entry level like junior or uh, entry level kind of position for software developers. So you have to beg the, the question like uh, where where do these people get the experience to become senior developers they have to get in somewhere and also there's this problem that all of the people who fit this description of senior mid-level developer for all intents and purposes they're hired they're they are fully booked either by as a freelancer or as a full-time employee they their time is fully booked so they're basically this is just fighting to get from one company person to come and join the other company. So a zero-sum game. Uh, the other problem is that job requirements are usually excessive. Um, so you would ask for someone to have like a PhD, uh, 20 years of experience uh, in development, and perhaps maybe like uh, 10 years of experience in a technology which only exists for five years. So this is something that's uh, that's actually troubling uh, to see. It means that the skill set required is actually not matched uh, to the actual requirements, and uh, these kind of excessive requirements either by either uh, reject people from applying at all, or when they do apply, if the HR is looking strictly at these requirements, they would uh, reject perfectly good candidates. Um, and also, like you can you can see sometimes, like uh, especially in the when you're hiring locally, uh, requirements that a very particular university uh, has been attended and very particular course has been uh, taken. So there are many examples of people who are self-taught or who did not finish a degree, maybe started uh, university, didn't finish, got into the field immediately, and. Uh, these can be exceptional uh, developers, exceptional engineers. Um, and companies are missing out on talent like this uh, using this very strict approach. The key would be uh, for HR to know the realistic requirements, not to ask for more or less than needed. Um, so I, I am starting to see uh, a correction in this trend, uh, but it is still a very prevalent issue. And another thing is um, the willingness to accept candidates that come from other fields and reskill them. Um, this is already being supported by governments uh, around, like in around Europe. So this is something that is actually pushed as a, a public agenda. And companies, there are some companies who support this at least declaratively. But the problem is, um, uh, pardon the pardon the expression, um, people need to put their money where their mouth is. So there are many uh, examples where you have companies uh, or actually even like state uh, institutions 
supporting the reskilling. And yet, uh, if you look at how many people are hired uh, from this process, it is very, very low. So uh, this needs to change if um, to get actually additional um, influx of developers. That's really interesting, Vlad. Um, I really like the the idea that you you talk about um, the HR karma, um, and you know, and talking about you know the way changing the mindset around the cost. You know, looking. But I think this is really important that organisations across industries need to think about these as imperatives for their survival and and and, and future success. But if you look at um, what you were talking about in the juniors not getting the breaks, I think this is so important as well. And actually, it's it's encouraging to see at the moment that there's there is a renewed investment drive from some of the uh, the major players in the market, um, the service players. Um, to since the start of 2021, actually, since since we've come sort of coming through COVID, um, com- some of the large Indian provide heritage providers, for instance, are investing heavily in the UK right now, um, and you know they're looking at particular areas like digital transformation, cloud, AI, cybersecurity, all these sort of hot topic areas. But they're looking to get people in at the grassroots, you know, straight out of university, or even there's a digital inclusion agenda associated with this. You know, it's a social good agenda where you know they're attracting you know people from underrepresented groups you know um certain areas of uh, the society where these are huge opportunities for them and for you know doing good good more broadly so i think that's uh, something we should be thinking about thank you all very much i'm afraid that is all the time we have for today i'd like to thank the panel for a great overview of the topic today and we'd love to hear your thoughts dear listener if you have any opinions or views to share get in touch find us on linkedin or on twitter uh, we'd love to hear your take on uh, on this market and uh, of course please do subscribe to the podcast you can find us on soundcloud or on spotify or whatever delivery system you happen to use to get your podcasts so thank you all very much and see you next time